0: People, before we begin, there's something I'd like to ask of you. As you're aware, on October 7th, the nation of Israel was awakened at 6.30 a.m. to a siren that caught us in utter surprise. That siren marked the opening of the gates of hell. Innocent civilians, among them women, children, and even babies, have been abducted by Hamas into Gaza in the wake of a massacre that has murdered over 1,400 civilians in Israel. Our hearts are broken, and honestly, it feels that nothing will ever be the same. On top of that, soldiers are dying daily in a battle for our lives and security. I don't think there's an Israeli who hasn't been personally affected and faced with tragedy since October 7th. Despite our deep pain, we're continuing to record this podcast, and in general, to keep business going. We believe that resilience isn't just a slogan. It's the enduring spirit that's made Israel what it is today. Resilience, agility, and boldness are characteristics that strengthen us, even at times of great difficulty. It's also the story of our tech landscape. We always deliver. And when obstacles get in our way, we overcome them. Always. So what do I want to ask you? To join us in the demand that Hamas release those innocent people immediately to let the Red Cross and Red Crescent be given access to them. Your voice matters. Now is the time to speak up. Consider that Hamas is after the entire Western world, not just Jews, and not just in Israel. This concerns all of us. Thank you so much for your support.
1: Real Life
0: Superpowers.
1: We had all hands in the company. I told it to the entire team of browsers. I told them, this is our way of fighting back, not stopping what we do, not stopping our business, not losing clients, not losing business. Being able to to prevail is is our ability to keep the market, the economic market of of Israel and also us as a company, still alive and still going and and still growing because this is our way to win the the war.
0: So welcome to another episode of the Real Life Superpowers podcast. Noah Eshed here with Renan Manipaz. Today, we're happy to speak with Asaf Shamli, a visionary entrepreneur and thought leader in the ad tech space who co-founded Browsy, an ad tech AI startup back in 2017, with a mission to create a world where content and ads blend harmoniously. He's been at the forefront of innovation in the ad tech industry for over eight years and has a wealth of experience, which he's gained from involvement in three startups. He also takes a lead role in the open source community, championing transparency, And here's the kicker. Despite all of his achievements, he's just 30 years old. Let's unpack the mindset that enables this. Real life. Superpowers. Up
2: at the side, it's a bird. It's a plane. Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology.
0: superpowers asaf welcome to real life superpowers hey, no, hey man. It's
1: so good to be here finally i mean it's been it's been a while and i've been following you and what you do and uh, i'm excited to be to be here with you guys
0: Yeah, and full disclosure, we're we're also friends and we work together and have been for years. So this has been a long time in the making. So glad to finally be doing this with you. Um, In in these days, uh, uh, we can't proceed without first asking, um, how are you navigating the challenges that these days of literally war are uh, making you face?
1: Yeah, this is an honest podcast, right? So I'm supposed to be honest as much as I can. And uh, it's, I'm not sure if I can... Curves, but it's shit. I mean it's, it's horrible. It's, it's really one of the most uh, horrible times that we've ever had in our life. both as people, Israelis, Jewish, all of the above, it's just a horrible time to be to be there and it's also horrible to try and navigate a company throughout that you know horrible times and um, and yeah, I mean we're, we're getting in there um, slowly. The first week, I think, was a was a huge shock for for me personally and for everyone that I knew. We didn't really know what to do. It was kind of like a feeling where uh, you have nothing you can rely on. There's no security. There's no like sense of you know place that you can call home. Even um, I think a week after that, we felt a bit more. Okay, we know what happened, it's horrible, now we have to just move on. So we have a bit more of a it's just a war time right now. So we're just doing that while also trying to maintain like uh, some some routine, at least in our life. I think.
2: What are you doing? What are you doing differently differently in the company right now? Like what what's like how are you handling it?
1: So um, let's start From what happened in terms of my company, uh, the company, we have about 12 people in reserve duty that actually went fighting. Uh, Two of them are literally in there fighting right now. We have no connection with them. The rest are like outside and we do have some connection with them. So 12 people out of about 70 people company, it's a, it's many, it's a lot. Uh, It's, it's more than than 15, 16% of the company. Um, Some of them are coming in and out. So they have like three days a week of duty and then they come for two more days at the office, which is nice. Um, and then first week we had this whole shock. Everybody was, we did not work. There's no production at all. On the first week we did a lot of volunteering. We um, helped a lot of families uh, in the South. We uh, funded um, therapists for our employees at the company trying to help them, you know, feel better during those horrible times. Um, we understood how we're gonna be doing everything. We, Kind of like planned ahead because we understood from the beginning it's going to be a long, you know, a long process and a long, um, long war. And um, very quickly, about a week later, we recruited four students, um, like computer science and engineering students uh, that have no. There's no universities here in Israel right now, so we recruited about four of them. The second week already to start filling up the gaps of those people who left. Uh, obviously, we're not getting the same load we're not getting the same work uh we converted all of our dev team in the first two weeks to do other things like supporting clients and doing some work of cs and doing some tam work technical account management work um and now we're recruiting another four students actually tomorrow and on tuesday they're going to be coming into the office uh another four three four students to start doing some more work so We basically said, okay, we know we're going to have those at least 10, 9 people out of those 12 people in reserve duty. We're going to not see them in the office for the next at least couple of months. We have to keep working as a company and and keep our production um, and what we do. And uh, for that, we just recruited a lot of people.
2: That's tough, but you're acting... You're acting like it's, like, something that, you know, like, uh, like everybody has this problem, mostly in the U.S., and every high-tech company, and, like, you know how to, what to do, like, on the, you know, you're, like, you have a strategic plan for, for full-out war. Like, how do you explain that, that, you know, like, you're agile enough to, you know, know what to do in war? I'm sure that in, like, you know... Not in a bad way to Switzerland, but if they would have gotten into like a war, I'm not sure if they would say, okay, I'll take four students. I'll switch this. This is going to be long 12 reserve, 12, you know. So it's
1: funny because I think that for us as Israeli people, we, we all went to the army and when you're in the military, in the army, you always have like plans for what happened in wartime, right? I'm going to get those people. I'm going to move there. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And, and as a startup company, you do not make plans for war. Right. You have like, you know, doomsday scenario when you run out of money or you have like you know, things happen, but you never think about, OK, it's going to be war tomorrow. Let's build up my plan for war. You never do that. And um, when it actually happens, I figured out maybe I need a war plan for browsing for my company, which is insane to think about. So, um, so no, but we had to be agile and, and being a startup allows it to be very agile, I think. Um, so you get my executive team, and I even have one of my executive people, um, one of my closest friends as well, who's been with me for the last five years in building the company. He's actually in the strip of Gaza right now fighting, right? So this is something that we also never thought was going to happen, like getting my executive team not being here. Um, we had a few meetings with everyone that's still here. We wrote up a plan. We decided what to do, and we just just moved along. There's no... There's no place to to think about that. There's no place to even plan ahead really. You're just saying this is what's happening. I'm going to do this and I'm going to this is my way to fight. I told it to my team as well. We had all hands in the company. I told that to the entire team of browsers. I told them this is our way of fighting back. Not stopping what we do. Not stopping our business. Not losing clients, not losing business. Being able to to prevail is is our ability to keep the market, the economic market of of Israel and also us as a company, still alive and still going and and still growing because this is our way to win the the war.
0: Do you feel the fact that you're an entrepreneur? And inherently that means that you're used to dealing with challenges all the time. Um and, and this can't be the first, although of course in magnitude it's very hard to compare. But you feel you've sort of built up resilience uh through your experience that sets you up to better I wanna say quote unquote succeed through this situation, or maybe maybe it's not in under quotes, but I think you get what I'm aiming for.
1: I think that um, it's easier for us as people that, as entrepreneurs, as, as, as people that are doing things in an agile way, as Juanen as mentioned, I think that for us, we're used to seeing things happening quickly. I mean, you thought that you're going to have a round closing in, in I don't know, August, and then you ended up closing the round on November, right? So if things happen, you have to set it up you might think you're going to close X amount of, of accounts and you haven't closed it. You might think you're going to launch a product by, you know, this time and you haven't you have a, you haven't done that. So you have to always adjust and and, and, and set your company to success in, in, in all those different ways. And you don't you have, have, you know, a very big, I mean, I think this is what helps me very much because my structure of the company is trying to be as flat as possible, right? I'm, I'm having, I have my own team of executives, which are about eight, nine people of executives. And then I have, the rest of the team just reporting to them, so it's very easy for us to do things quickly. You just say something, and then it goes very quickly to to our like actual exec- execution team on the bottom. So we're used to setting up for doing things quickly. Nobody prepared us for a war. Nobody prepared me that in a single day I'm gonna have twelve people of my team uh, fighting and and not you know there's no communication. We it's not that even you know, if somebody goes abroad for a vacation, you can talk to them. You you, you have their phone, you can you can reach out, you can ask a question. I cannot even reach to most of them. They're not replying. So if we have knowledge, and this is something that's really missing right now, the knowledge these people had, in a startup company, you don't have the, the the layover to just have knowledge sharing, right? You're not we're not doing meetings about, oh, tell me what you know and just have record and then have everything you know super you know, um, documented. No, we have people who know stuff and we're just moving ahead that way. So I think that for for us, this is the hard part, not only to be able to adjust, but to adjust to something that we never thought was going to happen before. Um, it's the knowledge, it's the fact that, that that half of the team reported that they cannot work on the first week because they're traumatized by everything that's been going on and um, you can't really say anything about that, right? You can't really... Judge a person when they're telling you, "I cannot work; it's too frightening right now." There's alarms going, there's sirens, alarms going on, things are happening. You know, we Israel is a small country. We all know someone who has been, you know, in uh, I, I don't want to say, you know, a casualty, but at least hurt by this horrible attack on, on October seventh. So it takes us a long time to understand really uh, what to do. And I don't think that it's enough to be agile. I, I think that looking at the long-term effects of this, of this thing, we will be losing things because of that. We will be hurted by that. And I know there's no way there that, that we as a company will be the same in two or three months from now as we would be if that wouldn't happen. In terms of growth, in terms of resilience, in terms of the people that, I'm, that I have in my company, in terms of the people who's gonna come back after the war to the to work, I mean the company would look differently. I know that, and um, yeah, I mean I can't believe that I'm even that I cannot believe that. I mean, as a, as an entrepreneur or as a, someone who founded the company, that's not say entrepreneur, it's a big board. As a person who founded the company, I don't think that that anyone prepared me to the fact that one day I'm gonna have a war and I had to. And I would have to, you know, deal with that. I knew. I mean, you always know that shit happens, and you have you're losing clients, and and your tech doesn't work, and you break shit, and and, and things happen. Nobody prepared you for a war.
0: So, how much are you allowing yourself to be vulnerable through this, and you know, to also turn to help yourself and to try? I mean, you 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 probably feel like you have to hold it together all the time, and you have to set an example, but within that, you're you're also human. And your team is looking up to you. Like, how how are you dealing with it all?
1: I think that when I'm in front of my team, like, when, when, when we do, like, a, we have, like, a daily meeting, right? And every, every morning we have a daily sync. And, and, and I did just that an hour ago with my team. And, uh, you know, they're all popping on the cameras because uh, Sunday is a work-from-home day for us. Um, and um, we we'll look at them, and, we, and and the first thing that I'm saying is, like, how are, is everyone? How are you feeling? Are you Okay. So I am trying to be stronger. I think that I am sharing how difficult it is for me. I, I have shared my you know, story of, of October 7th, The people that I knew that were there, either in, the, in, in one of the um, cities or one of the towns next to, next to the Gaza Strip or also people that I knew from the party. I have shared you know, how, it, how I was during that time. You know, October 7th was a very difficult day for everyone, and, and I have talked about that. But yes, you have, to be, you have to be strong, because if you're not going to be strong as the leader of the company, it's going to be very easy for everyone to fall apart. And, and what's actually surprising for me is that a lot of my employees told me that they want to actually come to work, to the office, they want to do what they do, so they would be filling some sort of routine, at least, because otherwise, you're just going to be looking at the, at the news all day, and that's not going to be good for you.
0: And Asaf, you're very young, relatively no, I'm not, not so young anymore. That's
1: it. I'm
2: 31 years
1: old today. So, <laughs>
0: oh, happy birthday, first of all.
2: But that was smooth, Noah. Smooth.
0: <laughs> no, but I think that you are. I think it's you're clearly uh, a, a very young CEO. And let's reverse engineer that a bit. So, did you grow up in a house that encouraged you to be independent? Did you did you have a dream of building your own things? Like how how did that and un- evolve
1: it's a good question uh i think that um so when i was growing up i really loved computers and like tech stuff I, I was into that my dad bought me my first computer when i was uh when i was uh i think in second grade or third grade which is 2001 2002 maybe so that was my first computer uh, It was already a window computer windows computer right i'm not that not that old um but um uh, he really pushed me into that to be very technical. Um, he is also an engineer, so it was very easy for him. Um, so as I grew when I grew up, I, I had a lot of you know push on that front. I was not like this charismatic person, this leader person. I, I wasn't. I, I was really I was, a, I was a regular kid, I guess. Uh, I didn't have I mean, being honest, I didn't have many friends uh, growing up, specifically in junior high and high school. Um, it took me a while to find like my voice and who, who I am in this entire like thing. I wasn't very social. Um I knew that what I want to do is, is you know be this computer guy my entire life. So when I got drafted to the military, I I, I got accepted to the intelligence corps. Uh, a big reason that I was able to do that is because my dad really nurtured me into, you know, writing code and understanding how you know computer works. When I was a kid, I wrote my first, I built my first website when I was, I think, 12.
2: How did he teach you to learn code?
1: Uh, He he didn't, he didn't do code. He was just, he gave me this really big book, Visual Basics 101, with like a bunch of CDs, right? And you just put a CD and you just, I was reading in English this entire book um, on how to write Visual Basic when I was like 10, I think, or 11. What was
2: the first thing you wrote? Was
1: it a game? Uh, I wrote a game, I remember it was a button, it was a button, you click the button, uh, whenever something was on the screen, you're supposed to click it as fast as possible, and then it counts score, right? So something was supposed to put the. in, it was a very stupid game, right? Whack! It's Whack the Mole. Very stupid, very simple version of Whack a Mole, yes, exactly that. Um, it took me, I think, a month to get there, <laughs> first time, because first of all, it was in English, and I didn't know English very good. I didn't know English very well uh, back then, and uh, second of all, it was learning code for the first time in my life, so so it was difficult. So when I built it, I, I fell in love. With yeah, I fell in love with doing that actually. Um, and then I wrote my first website when I was about twelve. Also, did it by myself. I remember there was a there was a, a typo in the in the URL in the domain that I bought. It was uh, it was supposed to be the best downloads. Um, a website where you can download stupid games like chicken invaders and stuff like that but i wrote best with an a instead of an e so it was the best download um i feel that the domain still exists in my account uh from way back when <laughs> so yeah i i love that and uh I, I wasn't a good student in school i mean i was a i i i couldn't i think i couldn't understand like the regular way of learning things i couldn't just sit in class and listen I was a very self-kind of taught person, I guess. So, so this is what I, I have done. So I, I was—I never did homework. I—I—I I, I, I never, you know, did that, and I had a lot of problems with that in school, this in junior high, um, in high school as well. But I was always doing things. Like I was never just, you know, watching TV or playing outside or something. I was always learning code. I was always learning to do new things. I wrote video games when I was 16, 15, 16 years old, video games that actually had like R, uh, RPG, role-playing games, if you know what those, kind of like the old Pokemon games. So I wrote a lot of those games, like six or seven, even published them on some website. I did that when I was like a kid, um, but never did my homework because I never got the reason why to do homework. Um, yeah. That's it. I got to the, to the 8200, to the Intelligence corps. I did that for four years. Cannot really speak about what I did there, but it was it was a meaningful and very interesting service. I think that this is the first place in my life where I actually learned how to be like more social, like more of a social person. um, I think.
0: What happened there that made you sort of get the acquire the the social skills? I think you have to
1: um, be social there. I think you have to. Because it wasn't like, it wasn't a daily service, right? I took, uh, I had a course. It was a seven month course. We studied every day from eight o'clock to 10 p.m. in the night, uh, Intelligence stuff and like other things. And it was very, very difficult. And then you go, you finish at 10 p.m. and you go to bed and you have your friends there. These are the only people that can understand what you're going through in those seven months of, of studying like every day. Um, and then... And you have to become social eventually. Uh, it wasn't easy for me, I think, to really become social and, and open up to other people because I was very introvert as a person. But I think that that just... You have to. You're stuck with those bunch of people every day, 8 a.m. till 10 p.m., studying in the classroom. And then, you know, you have one hour before bed where you can actually socialize. You have to talk to them, right? And then... My military service was somewhere up north. I was 10 days in my base and then four days back home. And that, you know, again, you these are your friends. You have to become social, right? There's no, there's like nothing. Um, you're not allowed to bring laptops. You're not allowed to do anything. So you have to just, I couldn't do anything else. Um, and then when I was about 20 still in my military service, they offered me to be a commander, to be like this, um to have a team, I had a team of 13 soldiers and I had to be, become a leader. And this is the first place I think that I actually became a leader, I think, or, or the first time that I actually managed people was in my military service. Um, I love that. We actually had a very interesting conversation during the weekend with some of my friends. I met a couple of my friends and, and we had a conversation about what makes you a good manager. I swear. It's a weird conversation to have with friends, but I swear this is what we did. And, um, uh, someone said something, right, you have to love being, you, you have to want and to love being a manager. And I think that I've learned that uh, at Browsy as well, that I've you have someone who's really good at their job, right? They're really good at, at, at being professional, at writing code or whatever. So you say they're naturally going to be a good manager because they can coach their team very well. But then you find out that these people are not good at being a manager because they are really good professionally, but they cannot lead perform they cannot teach and um uh, i think this is what happened to me i I understood somewhere along the line during the military service that being you know a, a, a commander there but then you know a team leader um is eventually being able to lead and that's more important than being the most best professional person in the room
0: but how do you then learn? because a lot of the times, and this is a common problem in general in uh, what's called first line managers across the world, also in enterprises where for like the typical use case is that there's a really superb engineer, and then that engineer is promoted to management and then they're they do not know how to manage and they're also not coached and then there's attrition and in general it's you know the first line managers do have a very significant role uh, so that's really an issue also for companies and I'm wondering like you you obviously were able to acquire the relevant skills so how did you do that was that something that you you, you gave thought to was it more intuitive is it something that you're still paying attention to where do you stand
1: First of all, I do still pay attention to. It. I think that someone along the line told me that as a manager or as a leader, you you don't need to know really everything. You don't need to be the best in in. I mean, I, I, I manage right teams. I manage people uh, today. I manage my CTO and I manage my uh, I don't, uh, VP marketing and and my revenue person. I cannot replace my CTO and do the technical work that he's doing and coaching his teams. I cannot replace my marketing because I have no idea how to do marketing. And I cannot replace the revenue person because she's much of a better sales person than I will ever be in my life. But what I can do is I can, I can be their coach, right? I can help them get to where they need to get and, and set the milestones and goals and targets for them to reach what they need to do. And they will come in and be the best possible you know, professional person but being able to set their eyes on the on the target and, and, and actually get there is, is my responsibility. So my profession is, is is the way I look at it is leading and managing, right? My profession is not right now not being a coder or not being a, a developer or not being a salesperson. My profession is actually managing.
0: That's it. So how do you learn to do that?
1: Honestly, I don't think that you that, that there's an answer for that. I mean, I'm sorry for being a. a
0: <laughs> no, but you did. I mean, obviously the, the learning curve also, do you have some sort of feedback loop that you apply internally or like, how, how does it go?
1: I think that the, the one thing that I'm doing is is trying to tell them that, that okay, so the way that I manage is I only get involved once something's not working the way I want it to work. But when I'm getting, I'm getting involved, I'm, I'm getting involved. I'm there. Like I'm fully there. I'm going to be on your shit, I'm going to be looking at um, I'm going to be looking at your your targets and I'm going to be be in your meetings and I'm going to be talking to your teams because if you're not you know, you're reaching your quota, I'm going to be a micromanager and I don't think it's a bad thing to do if you're not hitting your, your, your targets and goals if you are hitting those, I don't care do whatever you want to do, as long as you're hitting your targets, I'm not going to be giving you a hard time I don't care what you do um, this is the way that I do things and the second thing is that I'm setting a very high expectations and goals. Um, I'm setting them very, very high because I want to know that at least my executive team, I want them to know that that I'm expecting higher things from them. I do not. One of the things that I hate, really, I hate it, is when people come and tell me no, or I cannot do something, or this is not my job to do. It's someone else's job to do. And I, it can it can flip me because... Why? Because as an executive in a company, saying no is just, it blows my mind. I mean, you have to be able to say, I'll do my best and I'll get there, right? Or somebody will tell me, this is not my job to do. This is someone else's job to do. I'm like, I don't care. You are an executive person. You have an important job and your goal is the company's goal. And you will have to do the things that you need to do to get to your goal, right? If, if you blame someone else on, on, on the fact that you haven't reached your targets and goals, it's still your fault. Um, and I guess that that this is what... I mean, I think that my team loves me and hates me at the same time. I think that they hate me because, because I, I'm, I'm annoying. I'm, just, I'm an annoying person. <laughs> Right. I'm on top of things. I'm seeing all the emails. I'm talking to them every day. I know exactly what happened and what didn't happen. And I'm and I'm result-driven, of course. Like, you know, it's uh, buzzwords, but I'm very much result, data-driven. Um, they love me because, because I'm always going to help them. I'm always going to help them get to their targets and goals. I'm always going to be on their side. Um, but I'm going to do it in a very annoying way. I think I'm going to just be always there. Um, and yes, I think I'm a macro manager in some, in some cases, uh, which is a bad word, I guess. I think this is, a, I don't know. I think it's a, it's a not, not the, uh, <laughs> what you would expect, um, but I feel that at least as a company of, you know, 70 people or roughly 60, 70 people right now between New York, Tokyo and Israel. I think that you have to be, I mean, maybe when we're going to grow to 150 uh, people, I, I just wouldn't be able to do that anymore and I have to trust them, but at least my executive team, I'm a micromanager, and I'm
0: fond of that. We're excited to be collaborating with the Israeli website CTEC, owned by Calcalist, Israel's leading business newspaper. CTEC is the gateway of the Israeli high-tech to the tech world and vice versa. If you're not already a regular reader, we strongly recommend that you check out calcalistech.com, C-A-L-C-A-L-I-S-T-E-C-H.com, to stay up to date on all high-impact stories from the Israeli tech scene.
2: Is there anything in the company that if someone leaves, do you have a hole that you can't uh, take over? Like me personally, or? Like today, if the marketing team, uh, you know, something happens and, you know, the executive walks away. Do you feel as shoes operations QA programming? Is there anything that you don't know how to do?
1: I think all of it actually. <laughs> if you would have asked me two years a year ago, a year and a half ago, I would still tell you that I can do most of it. I think um, I truly think that 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 sales is something that I cannot do. I mean, I I can talk forever about the product and and why we're doing the product and why. Is it so good, innovative, and I can talk forever about how good we are as a company and all of our successes, but it's going to be very hard for me to lead a client from the point of not knowing about who we are and what we do to the point of we're actually signing a contract. Why? I think I'm a people pleaser uh, for everyone that's not working for me. I'm trying to please people, and it's a horrible, horrible characteristic. It's a horrible quality to have when you're selling. Um, I think that if you're a people pleaser, you cannot sell. And uh, I sometimes do that. And it's funny because it's easier for me with my board, for example, or my employees. It's very easy for me to not be that person because they have a stake in. I have a stake in. So it's kind of like it's easy for me to manage that. But when you're looking at a client, I really want to sell to them. I really want them to sign a contract. And I'm, I'm, I am sh- I want it so badly that I just give them everything, <laughs> which is not the smart thing to do.
0: There's a saying that it's not a negotiation if you can't walk away. And maybe you're sort of feeling like you can't. So you need somebody who is able to be maybe less emotionally involved. I don't know exactly what your trigger is, because obviously it would make more sense for you to be more assertive in those situations. But maybe you truly feel like you got to close this deal no matter what.
1: Exactly. I feel when I'm talking to like VCs or investment firms and those kind of things, it's easier for me. Uh, it is easier for me with Israeli people as well because I'm eventually I'm, I'm I'm an Israeli dude and it's easier for me to communicate with Israeli people because I understand like the the verbal and non-verbal communication much better I think. Um, but I agree. I think that 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 you need to. I mean, I gave up at some point. I think a year ago I kind of gave up and I was like, I was trying to. I had a mentor for sales helped me a lot, um, I think, and I was trying to become better at sales myself. Um, but at some point, someone told me you don't have to be good at doing sales; just get the good people to work for you. And I think that this is something that that really changed the way that I think. Um, so I have Rachel today, which is amazing. She's my best salesperson ever had. She literally she's she's a one man show. She can she can sell. She can bring in the accounts. She can do that, and 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 I'm. I'm making a lot of the introduction for her because I still know a lot of people and, and I'm, I'm building that over time. But I know that she closes the deals, and I always tell her, "You need to cl- close it. I cannot. I would it, don't get me on calls because I wouldn't be able to close it." Um, and I think it's, it's working very well for me. Uh, so going to your question, this is the one thing that I would not be able to do. Um, I think that on the tech front, yes, I do not know a lot of things that are going on in my tech right now because my team is doing that and I trust
2: them completely. But isn't it like the same feature as 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 sales to investors? Like you're doing these sales to investors. What's the difference? Because when
1: you're selling to an investor, you're not selling really. You're actually, you're you're actually. I look at it as buying. I I I'm giving them the opportunity to to be a part of my company, to be a part of my vision and a part of the big thing that I'm building. I'm not seeing talking to VCs. I'm not seeing as I'm selling them my company. I don't need to sell it.
0: Are we? Are we both thinking the same right now, Renan? Yes. Okay. I, I'll. I'll just say. You know, that's exactly the same with customers. I mean, I know enough to know that you believe in your product, and you're not just pitching to VCs.
1: <laughs> Knowing the fact that I'm supposed to be doing the same thing, I know that actually doing that is a whole different. It's a whole different ball game, right? Knowing that I need to be somewhere. I mean, I. I, I took a course in negotiation. I, I did all the things that you need to do, and I. I have all like the. And the things that I'm, I have the checklist, right? I know what I'm supposed to be doing when I'm talking to a customer and negotiating and selling. I know I'm still not doing that. It's very hard for me.
2: Why is it easy for you to do it with investors and not clients, which are basically the same thing at the end and day, because they're buying into your company and the client is buying into your product of a company?
1: I agree. I feel with investors, again, it's, for me, it's easy because I feel like I don't need them, really. Right, I can I can always find the different. Oh, okay. Maybe because we're investors, you always you, you need one or two, right? And you you talk to like ten a week, talk, I don't know, ten a month, maybe. Right now, we are not talking to anyone because it's wartime, but you talk to them all the time, right? And and I don't really need them. I can always find someone. It's not interesting for me, right? What I do need is clients because the company needs to keep growing all the time. I feel like I have maybe maybe that's that. I, I feel like I have more to risk. Of, of not being able to sell to a client. Oh, I see,
2: I see. <laughs> so, it, so it's more from people pleasing. It's like from the well, wanting it to succeed so much, you're trying to push it forward um, yeah. and not negotiating like you have nothing to lose.
1: I really think it's that. Okay. Every client I can, at least, well today's is, is a bit different. We have I don't know, 180 clients already, um, but today we're a bit bigger, we can actually say no to clients, which i feeling, we're feeling a bit better about that. But every client for me,
2: so tell me, tell me about the first, first client, like the first big client, you know, the first study place client, how'd you close it from like, you're, you're like a, you're like a nobody, uh startup and not as a person, as a company, like no one knows you yet. Here's the product. Like, how'd you do that? So we have a very
1: weird journey as a company. We, I wasn't the CEO to begin with. I was one of the founders and then the CEO left. I became uh, the, the CEO. Um, but uh, at the beginning we had, it was... I'm not sure if I can say the name. and Fuck it. Um, So we had like this uh, Salt Lake Tribune. This is a Salt Lake local newspaper in Salt Lake, Utah, right? It's a Mormon community. Uh, I think it's such a small client. Like today, we would never sell to them, right? They're so small. We have even no idea. And we got a call with them somehow, and they wanted to test our product, and it was very exciting, and we were all like on that um, I can't remember how how we did that, but but we were able to really generate a lot of you know value for them. We were very excited. and We were able to close them as a client. And back then we didn't close clients for twelve months and for like SaaS you know agreements, like real true subscriptions like we do right now. We just you know here's a contract, give me some money and I'll you know whatever you're going to give me, I'll, I'll be happy with that. So this is what we do did, and about six months later, um, they decided to move to a different company that was much older than us, and it broke my heart. And I think that that feeling that I remember to this day still. I mean, when a client leaves, and it doesn't happen very often, it happens. I know we have about two and a half, three percent churn rate, something like that. So it's very. Not very, very, not happening very often.
2: What lifetime turn rates or, or per month, per year, per 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 year, per year about three percent per year. This year it's going to be
1: maybe about four percent in the end of this year. So it's a very good churn rate as a company, I think, not good. And any, um, and any, anyone that's leaving doesn't matter if it's a client for five years or three, uh, three years or, or or a year. Every time that a client churns, even if it's the smallest client ever, it hurts me and um and i think that this feeling really i mean it doesn't matter we have 180 clients i there's clients leaving that i would not even know they would leave right um or wouldn't even feel it in my in my in my company's revenue and it's still to this day it hurts it hurts and 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 i'm seeing another on, on the end of month report of the clients that decide to leave and I, something that, that, I mean, I cannot explain it to anyone. I was talking to a friend of mine. He's an entrepreneur. I wouldn't say his name or his company, but he's an entrepreneur. Um, he built a second company. And because of the war, he had to uh, uh, declare that um, um, basically the default of the company. He was supposed to close around. All of his Israel VCs said, we're not doing anything right now. So his company went to shit. He had to fire 20-something people. He had to close the company. And I talked to him on Thursday night and he was heartbroken he was devastated he was like i and, and i was like you know nobody in the world can understand that feeling as 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 someone who built a company and, and you own this this thing you would never understand how horrible that is to to basically say i'm done i i, I felt because the tech works right and and he he wasn't able to sell to 10 clients or 11 clients, I can't remember how many. But he was able to sell to a number of clients, but he just couldn't get the next funding. So he had to close. And, and, and he was like, nobody understands me. People are telling me, well, you're going to sell the tech now for half a million dollars. You're going to make some money out of that.
2: But it's not only the war. It's also... It's also the inflation and the investors worldwide. It's been a few, couple of rough years.
0: No, but in general, that feeling of of building something and putting your heart and soul into it and then having it, having that dream crushed and having to close that down. It's, it's, I think it's like Asaf is saying, it's something that a, a person who hasn't experienced it would have a very hard time understanding why it is so soul crushing and not. If you're
2: an entrepreneur, it's inevitable. At least once or twice or three times or maybe five times. Statistically, it's inevitable.
0: Right. Still, but 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 I think Asaf, what you're saying is that people find it hard to understand how emotional those things are.
1: Yes, a hundred percent. Because because you know when when you talk to I talk to my friend, right? Just a random friend, and you're I'm, I'm bitching about the shit that I'm having through work, this client, that client, that employee, and that team, that whatever, and they're like. It, their their immediate answer is who cares? It's just a job, right? Or it's just work. They for them, for someone who, who does not own this and, and is is liable to this thing, and they would never I don't think that they understand how how soul crushing it is that something doesn't work. It doesn't even have to be closing a company, it can just be not lending that huge client that you were trying to land from the last year. Not being able to retain a client, not being able to you know, keep your employees happy and have a bad employee churn rate. I mean, all those things, this is this is so hard. And if I'm going to go back to the, the war, we started talking about, you know, everybody's feeling the war it's shit for everyone, but, but you're supposed to also feel shit about the war and feel shit about what's going on. And then also you're somehow supposed to maintain a company and keep that working while you're doing that. And this is, I think, something that you're... It's just very hard to do. Because my friends have the liberty, the people that I know have the liberty, have the the, the ability to not work right now. To, to tell their manager, you know what, I'm feeling bad, I don't want to work, I do not, I cannot do that. I cannot tell my board, oh, you know what, I'm feeling like shit, I want to take a week off right now.
2: I think that, that that feeling is impossible for people to understand, more than the failure. Like people fail, but that that the the you cannot fail because other people are dependent on you, or you you cannot go up to someone and say I have a problem. Listen, like you know, money is not running out. I have a problem. There's war. I don't know what to decide. Should I do this or that? You have no one to go to. That feeling, I think, is less. You know, even more hard to relate to because um, most people have a address for pushing uh, problems and wanting solutions. And there's people who who that are responsible for those people and people like yourself that don't have anybody, you know, you're responsible for people or for money or for something, but, you know, you're responsible for your own destiny. Um, saying I'm done is actually failing all those other people and you have no one to blame. You're actually the person to blame. So
0: You can't say it's just fill in the blank about almost anything that happens on, under what you're on top, in charge of. And, and maybe you can say it, I don't know, to... No one gives a shit. No, but even like...
2: No, no, like at the end of the day, they, give, they may give a shit, but, the, you know, at the end of the day, no one gives a shit. It doesn't matter. it's like Asaf was talking about the kPIs that he gave for his employees, right that they're very hard to get to at the end of the day. his kPIs are the the ultimate goal, and no one gives a shit
0: but but and and among that, you have to be able to emotionally handle that and and you can't dismiss almost anything um because it, it, sort of tragically the day you start dismissing and mean it when you start saying it's just a customer, I think that's the tipping of a sand clock because it just means you, you, you've you begun to not care. And and from now on, it's up to faith whether or not this can somehow happen without you being emotionally invested.
1: Often I say that I really want to have a manager. Sometimes I just want to have someone to manage me, right? I just want to have a boss for a second, right? Both because I need a push sometimes because sometimes if you don't have... You know, you don't have to get this email right now. You don't have to do this right now. Then sometimes you're just slacking off. Also, as a CEO, you're, you're, I'm running away to doing the things that it's easy for me to do, right? Rather than making big plans for next year or making, you know, writing the, the next all-hands meeting presentation, which is things that I hate doing, right? I hate building decks, right? So I, 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 just, I just run over to the things that it's easier for me to do. Sometimes when I have a manager that would say, no, you have to do this right now. Sometimes when I want to have a manager or a boss that I can just tell them it's hard. And they would say, I know, let me see how I can help you. And I, and, and I don't have that. And you never have this as a, as a CEO. I mean, you have someone to call to, you always have someone to call to, but for some reason they never care about you. They always care about the money that your company makes.
2: So, you know. So Seth, this is interesting because you said in the beginning about the war and how you made up that plan, right? So um, someone smart said to me once that, you know, being an entrepreneur is actually fighting against the wind because you're actually simulating, and building targets that—that that you imaginary targets and imaginary times and imaginary deadlines, with you know imaginary projects that th- there will be an imaginary success at the end of the day, and you have to commit to that belief that those are the right times to do it. Where actually in your head sometimes you fight with that. Exactly what you're saying. like you don't have a manager saying. I, I would really love it to be important for me till the 14th of December to finish that deck. But I know that if I'm not finishing it in the 14th, I can finish it in the 21st and maybe even in February, you know, that won't be a bigger problem because that's the problem with deciding. So it's actually, you know, the hardest person to manage is always yourself. There's always the douchebag in your head saying, listen, maybe tomorrow, which is you. And there's always the other guy fighting. No, maybe today. And it's, you know, that's, that's, the, that's, that's who you're managing. I think it's also like when you're doing something and you don't have a boss, right? And when you're
1: managing it yourself, there's no one signing off on that thing, or right? there's no one saying it's good or it's bad. So when it's a clear KPI or clear goal, I have to create that report. So you create a report and it's easy. You know what you're doing. It's very, very easy. When you're building a deck, for example, when you have to write up an email and when you're pitching something, for example, and you have to prepare for that pitch, you are Yourself, the, the the person who creates, and also sign off, and you don't really know if what you're doing is good, right? You know, you're not 100% sure that what you're doing right now is the right. You
2: way. just believe you're doing it good.
1: You have to believe it, right? And then when you have to do things and which are not set, in, not super clear, not set in stone, the the, the result, then it's likely to be much harder for you to commit to doing it because you're kind of like afraid of. I'm not sure that I'm doing this the right way, so maybe. I'll just push it off and push it off and push it off, and then it's the fight or flight kind of thing, right? You're getting a day before you have to present something, and shit, I have to do this next week. You just do whatever comes out, and I think that that I'm actually I'm I'm good in in doing this.
2: Wait, that means that means you you have a boss. That means the people that work for you as an enabler are your bosses because you have a deadline. Once you once you send that invite for everybody to listen to that presentation, you have a boss there, right? And that's the boss. So this is something I actually do. I, I
1: commit to things before I, I know or do them. So I commit to, to present something or commit to, to do something before I know if I'm going to be able to achieve that or not. Because that would make me because if I'm going to tell one of my employees, for example, my my revenue person, she brought a very big client that has a lot of onboarding needs to be done. And she was like, I don't think like, I'm not sure that we can do the onboarding for this client by the first off, whatever. Right. And then I was like, we're going to be able to do that. I'm going to hire the people. Well, we can do that. And then, of course, we cannot do that right now. But I have to make it happen. So then there's a guru running around trying to make that happen. And this is this, this this deadline is my boss kind of thing.
0: Do you know Parkinson's law? Parkinson, no. It means that a task is going to take as much as you allocate to it. I think you're actually living yeah.
2: it. No, that's that's actually a genius. And if you think of every you know leader historically, that's, you know, you know we will free all, you know, as an example, all the fr- uh, slaves, we will get out of this economic crisis in four years. You know, at the end of the day, that's how you do it. You commit to that deadline, you know, and uh, yeah, that's, that's a genius, genius way to manage a company.
0: Asaf, do you recommend to people to do this, to be entrepreneurs?
2: Uh Oh, he's thinking. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's good. I don't want an intuitive one. I, I don't think there is a choice for me, at
1: least. I mean, there's there are days like the the, the shitty days, the horrible days, the days that I hate, where nothing works out, where your clients are you know horrible, when your employees are not good, and there's a war going on, and these days I'm imagining myself as a as a taxi driver, you know, just doing my eight days. Uh, Eight hours a day driving people around, getting my collecting my paycheck, and just going back home.
2: Right. Um, <laughs> Even then, he's imagining eight.
0: himself uh, like uh, he doesn't imagine himself working for someone. He's still independent, but in a taxi.
2: I have to say, I really relate. I understand <laughs> what he's saying.
1: And this kind of like this is where this is the tension between what I do and sometimes where I want to be. I think right, um, but I don't think I can actually do that right.
2: And I think that that
1: that maybe you can relate as well. I don't think that that, that I can actually
2: do that. There's a problem because when you get to a destiny, I, I do have to say for an entrepreneur, I don't know if it's for there, but once you go black and I won't continue the senses uh, you, 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 it's really hard to control your destiny and then release it afterwards. That's like the biggest problem for me saying, listen, you know i I can control this dream of mine and then I have to release it as if I'm the same person who doesn't believe I can actually do that myself
1: so so I think I think that the question maybe no, that you asked is is it's irrelevant because it's irrelevant because you, I don't need to recommend to a person. If if the person is the type of doing this, they will do that. If they're not, they won't do
2: that. How do you know though?
1: I don't think you know. I don't think you know. I think there's a very good chance also for myself that in that in, that in a two, three, four, five years, whatever, I'm going to be back on the seat as, as a hire, as a as, a, as an employee, um, and I might be happy about that. There's a very good chance that might happen. I cannot imagine that. It's very weird for me to imagine that, but there's a good chance it might happen. I think that you go through things. I mean, y- you sleep less at night when you do what we do, you're stressed, you're thinking, you're constantly thinking about things. Um, and I do want to have a period of my life where I could just be happy and not be happy, but I'm worried about that. I would recommend for anyone who feels that stomach thing that you mentioned that that I would recommend to try it. Um, But as soon as you feel like you cannot do that anymore, just don't do it anymore. It's not worth it.
0: I got to say... You're making me think about an insight that I've been having these very, very uh, difficult days in Israel now, uh, and, and it's uh, in line with what you said about the be happy but. And one thing that I'm, I feel I'm realizing uh, over the last few weeks is that part of being alive probably means having to hold that complexity at any given point of being happy but like there's always going to be some but uh, and like the but that we're experiencing these days isn't mainly work related obviously i'm not talking about all the challenges you're detailing which are clear at this stage but i mean in general i just i think i'm realizing in life that th- that but is uh, is always there we sometimes prefer to overlook it and sometimes it stares us in the face because really bad things happen um, but maybe the essence of you know being here on this planet is being able to be happy, despite and but so it's something to think about.
1: It, it, it's funny that the, the things that I, I I think about lately because of the war a lot is the fact that most of the world doesn't live what we live, and most of them doesn't have to go through what we what we are going through. I guess and and this. And and I mean we're going through very difficult things regardless of the war. I mean, living in Israel is, is a very hard thing to I think to do. And and I I I'm I'm not sure that I can tell you if I agree or, or disagree with what you said. Not because I need to live somewhere else for a while where this thing happening here is not, you know, my experience. And I've never had the chance to do that. I've been living in Israel my entire life. So so I, I don't think that I can tell you that, yes, because I do feel like if I'm, if I would be living in I don't know, Sweden or Norway, where they're, they're so happy about everything, I don't know, I might not be an entrepreneur because I think that it's kind of like, I'm already not happy. So let's just take all the shit in while I can, while I can get right. <laughs> I mean, it's already shit. So let's just,
0: just throw some
1: more in there. Maybe. I wow.
0: <laughs> okay. I I I'll respect where you stand. No, no. It's it's already shit. But he's
2: saying at least I can make it a little bit better. It's not a bad thing. It's like he's saying, listen, I'll I'll fight it and maybe I'll make a bigger difference. It's if there was no difference to be made, then maybe he would be okay with it. It's okay. Okay. That's I
0: like that. That's that's nice.
2: Yeah. And like without without people who want to try to make a difference, even you know that even even a good product comes from a shitty place. Meaning. You know, I can make this product better, right? Um Seth, what would what you say that your superpower is?
1: Should I should, should have thought about this question before we started, right? Yeah.
2: Definitely, yep, yep, definitely on you.
1: <laughs> I think I can read people very well. I think that um, I think that the one thing that really helped me is I have very very good uh emotional uh uh, Q. I mean EQ, my EQ is, is, very, is very good and, and I think that being able to relate to people um, is something that really helped me along the way.
2: Do you think it's a combination between your EQ and IQ? Like finding someone who is also analytic that has an advantage on the emotional IQ is, 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 is usually unique.
1: I think it might be. I think I think that I mentioned before that I'm very annoying, and I'm. I think I'm annoying because I understand things very quickly, and I, and I want to get them resolved. But the only reason why I can be annoying but still get away with it with my team, and my team loves me, and I can still manage them, and I can still get the results, is because they also, because I can also relate to them. I can also be very with them in the process most of the time, at least, and this helps me build that tension between. Being this micromanager annoying person that I am, which I am, and also being able to retain my team, make sure that they're happy, make sure that we know that there's, there are more important things in life than work um, and, and, and building on that tension stuff that I can do only because I, I, I can understand people, I think. And your weakness? My weakness, I would say, is that I do not do well with failures. I mean, I know it's not, maybe it's a given, but failures for me are a hard thing to take in.
2: Still, what happens when you fail? Like, what? What is it? Anger? Is it? Is it? Do you quit? Do you?
1: It's it's more of a feeling. It's a spiral feeling when 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 I fail. It's a spiral feeling that 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 everything is shit. I'm gonna be. I'm 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 not good at what I do. I'm not sure who the fuck gave me the, you know, the keys to this to this car, which is my company. I'm not sure who like who. Put me in that position. I'm horrible in doing this. And how do you get out of that spiral? I, I learned that I should not get out of it. I should I should give it time. It's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be done today, right? But when it happens, I need to give it the day. When when I'm trying to fight it, it's just it's just worse, kind of like because what happens is that I'm gonna get everyone around me feeling the same because I'm gonna I'm gonna be fueling the system with another with more. You know anger and stress and we're gonna be calling people like why did we fail and let's do a postmortem. and how can we do it? how can we save it and how can we do this, not can we do that. And and it's not good. It's not good because because I need to learn how to deal with that thing. Because I need to understand that failing is sometimes inevitable as, as you said, just, we all know we're gonna fail. But the way you handle that, the way you respond to that failure is is only something that, that, that is me. This is only me. And um, if I'm gonna be putting that that feeling in the way that I with it to my team and to the other people, I'm not doing good for anyone.
2: Yep, it's actually as I said as I said to my son not long ago when he lost the game and he got you know I think it was a card game a taki game, um or 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 chicken taki or one of those. But um, it's um it's when 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 only when you lose um you actually can you, be happy because there's some somewhere you can get better there's nothing you can learn from winning um you you, you can you, if you're, you're winning that just means you're playing against people that are less than you um there's nowhere to progress you have no action items thinking uh, you can do better the only place you have is when you lose uh, that's why getting into it is sort of like, you know, the more interesting part of it and getting out of it. And it's a tough thing to do. And, uh, I like that H- hugging the experience of also failure is a smart thing to do. Thanks. Asaf.
0: And also when you're learning how to fail, I think you're learning how to learn. That's the only place you can learn.
1: I think that, that something happened to me when I was uh, a kid. I remember I was, uh, I was like, I think like I was 12 or 14 and, and, you know, it was, it was the time where everyone was writing a blog right online um so i i was reading that blog about the 1090 rule i'm not sure if that's correct maybe some you know 16 year old girl in in somewhere in the world wrote it but i remember this to this day it's uh you probably cannot control 10 of what's happening right because shit happens like I i could not control the word happening i could not control this client leaving in some cases I cannot control an employee wanting to move somewhere else I could do my best to try to, and, and avoid it. I can't control how I react to that which is usually 90% of something happening and I'm trying my best to, usually I fail but I try my best to control how I react to those things that's happening to me and to my company and to everyone around me um, and this is the only maybe the only thing that I that I remember to this day it's very hard though to control the reaction to something okay. I guess.
0: Asaf, thank you for being so vulnerable and so open. Brilliant. And I, I want the listeners to not be mistaken for a second. This is a winner. And and, and in many ways this is how <laughs> a winner speaks, because the reality is that many winners just aren't as open. But we just got uh, a, a peek under the hood. Um, Thanks for your
2: humility, Asaf. We really appreciate it and keep safe and I wish you the best of success. Thank you so much uh, for having me and uh, it was great.
0: Great. Good luck. Thank you. That's all for today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please consider subscribing to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, if you have a moment, we would really appreciate it if you could rate and review our podcast on the platform you're listening to. This will help others find our show. And as always, if you know anyone who you think would enjoy our podcast, please share it with them. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back as usual on the first of the month. Real. Live. Superpowers.
2: Up the side, it's a bird. It's a plane. Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. It's alive. Real. Live. Superpowers.